1: wherever you get your podcasts.
2: The world is filled with many questions, such as, did giants exist? What is junk DNA? Does it mean that you're trash? Do you ever wonder if aliens have underwater bases in our oceans, and that's why there are so many UFO sightings off the coasts of islands all over the world? How serious even is climate change, and when should we start building our rafts? Hello, everyone. You may recognize me as Gabby from the History of Everything podcast. And my name is Bruna, and you don't recognize me from anything yet. Together, we're two scientists who explore the answers to these questions and many, many more in our new podcast, Mystery Mystery of Everything, Everything, available everywhere you get your podcasts.
3: Monster House presents
1: monster talk is an independent podcast production of monster house LLC you can show your support by subscribing to our ad-free extended episodes at patreon.com forward slash monster talk we want to grow our monster talk audience and the easiest way to accomplish that is for listeners to leave us five-star reviews on iTunes positive reviews have a huge impact and only take a moment Chances are you've heard this story before, even if you don't know it as The Tale of Lord Dufferin's Ghost. Before I'd even read the story as a kid in the 1980s, I was already terrified by a variant that I'd seen on television. The story we're going to discuss tonight was adapted for TV by Rod Serling from a collection of short stories edited by Bennett Surf. That collection was called Famous Ghost Stories, and it came out in 1944. Cerf who founded Random House and was quite well known as a jokester, punster, and wit, collected a delectable assortment of terrifying tales in this influential volume that introduced many people to tales such as The Monkey's Paw, as well as the E.F. Benson story that recapitulates the essence of the tale that we're discussing in this episode. But let's get back to that particular night in the 1970s. Our family had one TV back then, and one of my very favorite shows was The Twilight Zone, but it normally came on after the news at the absurd hour of 11.30 p.m. My family was asleep, but despite the hour, I was still awake under my cover with a flashlight, a book, and a clock waiting for the time for the Twilight Zone. When the time was right, I crept out of my room and made my way to the family room, turned the volume all the way down to just above nothing, and flipped on the TV set. The phosphorescent screen lit up the room and the guitar music began to play. And it wasn't long before two beautiful women would come face to face in the basement of a hospital. And somehow, this innocuous phrase would ring terror into my young and impressionable mind. Room for one more, honey.
3: Monster Talk.
1: Welcome to Monster Talk, the science show about monsters. I'm Blake Smith.
3: And I'm Karen Stoltzner.
1: Hello, fellow Monster Talkers. As you know, we keep Halloween in our hearts all year long. But wow, are we excited to roll into the most pumpkin spice time of the year. To really get into the spirit of things, we sat down with my fellow pro-reality podcasters, the spooky science sisters, Paige Miller and Megan Ankeny, to talk about one of Karen and my favorite ghost stories, Lord Dufferin in the Omen of Doom, aka Lord Dufferin in the Elevator, aka Lord Dufferin in the Prophetic Dream, etc., etc., etc. Join us now as we tell this spooky story and then talk through the facts behind it, its large cultural footprint, and the lessons that we learned while researching it.
3: Monster Talk.
1: All right, so welcome to Monster Talk. I'm Blake, and that's Karen. And today we're talking with uh, Paige and Megan from the Spooky Science Sisters.
2: Hi. Hi.
1: (laughs) So I've enjoyed listening to your show. And uh, I I have to say it was pretty funny because Karen and Matthew didn't tell me they were going to be on. So I was listening. All of a sudden they they popped up. I was like, oh, hey, I know those guys. (laughs) Hey, I
3: know them. Yeah. I wouldn't have told you at the time, but doesn't matter
1: you you might have i I, i'm very i miss a lot so don't don't you worry so (laughs) it was very cool i enjoyed listening to that and uh, i i like your show so yeah thank you (laughs) well so thanks for joining us this is karen set this up and i'm very excited to participate We're, we're trying to get in some cool sort of spooky content for the spooky season although as we've mentioned before on the show Every day's Halloween for Monster Talk, right? I mean, we we always like like to be plugged in,
3: especially now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <Yes. laughs> I, I am
1: halloweening so hard here. Oh my god! Yep. Like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I actually sorry. I put up like a pop up inflatable <gasps> vampire coffin thing in my front yard, and it's it's funny Ooh. because it's got a like a little vampire that like disappears and then pops it back up. And it's like seven feet tall, lights up.
2: Um, oh, awesome. And,
1: and it says, I'm ready for my coffin break. My kids were like, are you serious? You put a pun on the Halloween decorations? Like, no, no, I didn't. It was already there. I bought it because puns are awesome. That's, that's how that works. So.
3: They saw you coming. Yeah. That is strangely relevant to today's show. Anyway, a coffin. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yes, it is.
3: Should we do a quick introduction of uh, Paige and Megan if they want to?
1: Yeah, like introduce yourselves. Who are you? Why are you here? (laughs) (laughs) We don't know. What you do. (laughs) Who are you?
2: (laughs) Well, I am Megan and I am one half of Spooky Science Sisters, which is a podcast that I would definitely say is in the same category as Monster Talk. And I think when we started it, we like didn't realize that Monster Talk (laughs) existed and that there were like (laughs) other people doing similar things. So it's been super cool to find those people and interact with them and do guest stuff with them over the past year and a half. But yeah, the podcast was born in March of 2020. Right, Paige? Yes. I almost said yeah. twenty nineteen, but yeah, it's twenty twenty. <laughs> it's only been since last year. Uh, <laughs> no, but it was born in March of twenty twenty out of everything had just gone into lockdown.
1: Uh huh. Is one of the good things to come out of the pandemic was everybody who thought about doing a podcast is doing a podcast, and why not? <laughs> yeah. I think, the more the merrier, I say. So.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So anyway, so I'm I'm one half. I am a research scientist by day in a geochemistry lab, Ooh. but really love Halloween and spooky stories, and have watched an embarrassing amount of ghost hunting TV shows <laughs> and. <laughs> And so, yeah, I, I uh, approached Paige with the idea last year of like, hey, let's, let's do a podcast from like talking about spooky stuff, but from a scientific perspective. And luckily, Paige is down for anything, so she said okay. (laughs) I was going to say, fortunately
0: for Megan, I am afraid to say no to anything. (laughs) I'll
2: try everything at least once. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So Paige, what about you?
0: (laughs) Yeah, so other than having severe FOMO, I'm Paige, and I am sister two of the Spooky Science Sisters Professionally, I have a bachelor's in chemistry, but I am now one half chemist, one half safety lady. And personally, I am a lover of all things Halloween, horror, true crime. I only recently started really getting into like the ghost hunting shows that Megan is talking about, but they're pretty great, and I have
2: enjoyed them.
1: <laughs> so you, you two, you're you're not literal sisters, right? But you you have like a
2: we're sisters in laws.
1: Right. So you share a covalent bond. Yes. Chemistry joke. (laughs) Chemistry (laughs) joke. (laughs) Yes.
2: I am married to Paige's brother. So, yeah, and I, I like to joke now that it's like, well, I'm only staying together, like, so that way I can still be friends with Paige. <laughs> <laughs> I was surprised. <laughs> yeah, we've already talked. If we ever get divorced, I get Paige in the divorce. So.
1: <laughs> well, I, I think it's great when you, your in-laws can also be your friends. That's great.
2: Yeah.
3: yeah. yeah. So, I bet. <laughs> That's rare.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I would imagine.
3: But uh, everyone... Everyone listening should go and check out the Spooky Science Sisters and listen to their show. They've covered a lot of topics that are dear to our hearts as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's good fun. Lots of giggling, and, uh, <laughs> yeah. which we're seeing tonight, hearing tonight. But yeah, Sorry. Blake giggles all the time. I'm I, I do, I do. So we're wanting to talk about a topic that is just a, a great interest to Blake and I, to the point where when I suggested this topic, he said, haven't we spoken about this before? And uh, so we're going to talk about Lord Dufferin and his ghost story. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, Blake and I have talked for years. We've been running this show for over a decade now. And we've always talked about uh, the our favorite stories, the ones that really scared the crap out of us as kids. Yep. And <laughs> this is part of that collection of stories. And uh, so I often refer to a beloved book that I had when I was a kid, maybe about six or seven. Uh, there are a series of ghost books by uh, a publisher called Usborn or Usborne, whatever pronunciation you want to adopt. But so I found the story in a book called Haunted Houses, Ghosts and Spectres. And so, yeah, I've known about this story for a long time. And I think it's a story that a lot of people know about, but it's not really out there very much. I think it's in some of the older collections of ghost stories. How did you find out about it, Blake?
1: Yeah, I... I came across it from a a scholastic book called Amazing Real Life Coincidences by Mm -hmm. uh, Douglas Colligan. And I got it in 1980. And this is one of those books that was really influential and scary to me as a kid. And then at some point I lost the book or got rid of it. And then later on, in a fit of nostalgia and uh, e-shopping, I I got another copy of it. So I actually have it to hand, but it's – it's just a fun book full of all kinds of crazy weird stories about unlikely coincidences and and it's amazing to me i mean the amazing part to me is not the coincidences it's that they all are so memorable that I still recall them you know all these years later like it is so weird to me to read this book because it just it was so sticky in my head, yeah.
3: Mm -hmm. Yep. And so Spooky Science Sisters, then when I mentioned this topic, had you heard about Lord Dufferin or was it new
2: to you? This is totally new to me.
0: Yeah, (laughs) new to me as well.
2: Yeah, although I feel like reading through and familiarizing myself with it, it was like, well, this sort of seems familiar, but I guess that sort of.
1: By the time we're done, I bet you you'll find that it's a lot more familiar than you realized. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
3: (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. So I thought I'd give a little bit of a character sketch of this Lord Dufferin character. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he's really interesting, and I mean, he had this very long-winded name as they did in those days. His full name was Frederick. Hamilton Temple Blackwood and he was the Marquess of Dufferin and Ava and he lived between 1826 to 1902 and he was this Anglo-Irish peer. He'd been a baron and an earl and uh, a Viscount and then a Marquis, and he was this really celebrated figure in Victorian society. He'd had an illustrious diplomatic career and this was during the peak of the British Empire. So the days of British imperialism where England and France and Germany and Spain and and all these other countries were colonizing or some might say invading other countries and (laughs) borrowing or stealing their resources however you want to look at it and uh, so I think that Lord Dufferin couldn't have existed at any other time only during this British empire because he's just such a a strange character but he had this um, as I said a really illustrious diplomatic career and his posts included that he was british ambassador to the courts of russia turkey italy and france and he was chancellor of the duchy of lancaster uh, lancaster yeah he was the under secretary of state for war he was the governor general of canada as well uh, so canada was part of the commonwealth like australia and so i think he is still very well known in india and canada And there are a lot of places named after him to this day. He's not as well known here in the States. And he was also the uh, viceroy of India. And this was during the days of the British Raj. So he yeah, was was a really fascinating character and known for being very charming and witty and a real storyteller, which we're going to get to shortly as well. And he'd gone to lots of posh schools like Eton, where he was known as the Little Orator. And uh, he'd done all kinds of kind of swashbuckling things. He'd sailed around the North Atlantic and he'd written a book called Letters from High Latitudes, which was this best-selling account of his travels. And he had this uh, very large manor in, uh, near Belfast in Northern Ireland, a place called Clandboy Estate, and it was absolutely full of antiques and artefacts that he'd collected on his travels and his prized possession were these spiraled narwhal tusks that he had at the end of the the stairwell. And so he, he was this celebrity in those days. He was friends with Queen Victoria, who once said that he was much too good looking and captivating. And he was friends with Alfred Lord Tennyson and he'd known all different famous people from the time, like Sitting Bull and Otto von Bismarck and the Tsar of Russia. So after all of this stuff, no matter how famous he was with all of these things that he'd done, he's most famous to this day for his ghost story.
1: And I just wanted to say for the podcast, and this may not be a great reference, but when I got to see a photo of him, finally, he looks to me like the actor Hans Conried. Who played like Wrong Way Felvin on uh, Gilligan's Island, but with a beard and a mustache? He...
3: Oh, I see the resemblance a little. You posted a picture for me. <laughs>
1: yeah, I did. I did. So I just I thought he looked so familiar. I couldn't remember who he looked like. And I think he, he really favors Hans Conrad.
3: Yeah, but with a cravat and maybe like a waxed mustache. Right, with a
1: waxed mustache and a thin little beard, Go, the Van Dyke kind of beard. Yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's very much of his time. So he, during his lifetime, he liked to tell this story about a ghost that saved his life. And he used to tell this story so often that his wife, Lady Harriet, she knew the words by heart. (laughs) And he also loved to terrify his nephew with the story too. So we can get into that a little bit later. But uh, I thought I'd just briefly tell the story and then we can talk about everything else behind it, fact, fiction, and more. So his ghost story is that it was around 1849 that he was visiting a friend's country manor in Tullamore in Ireland. And I think he'd been up all night, drinking, partying after a day of hunting or something like that, and he fell asleep very quickly. But around midnight, he woke up suddenly, and he felt very unsettled, and he was irresistibly drawn to the window. So he peered outside into the darkness and saw a patch of moonlight where he spotted a hunchbacked figure and he noticed that it was a man and he was staggering under the weight of some kind of large object that he was carrying on his back. So slowly he came closer into view and Lord Dufferin saw that he was carrying a coffin. So in some variations of the tale, Dufferin confronts the guy and the man lifts up his head slowly and Dufferin sees that he's hideous, really, really ugly. And Dufferin demands to know where he's taking this coffin. The guy just smiles at him eerily and says, room for one more. So then he shuffles off and he vanishes into the shadows and Dufferin just couldn't get back to sleep that night. He was really creeped out. And during breakfast the next morning, he recounted the experience to his hosts. And they thought about it and they said, look, there's no one in the village that fits this description and the the manor didn't have the reputation of being haunted. I think they even spoke around to people to see if there'd been any recent deaths in the the town, and they just couldn't find an explanation for what he'd seen, so the host just dismissed it as a nightmare. But the hostess feared that it was a bad omen. So then we move forward about half a century later, so around 1894, 1894. And Dufferin was now the British ambassador to France. And one night he was attending a diplomatic reception at the Grand Hotel in Paris. It was a really fine hotel and it was one of the first to have a steam-driven elevator. And this is crucial to the story because this night that Dufferin was there, he queued up with other guests at the elevator all lined up for the Americans here. And he was about to step into the elevator cage when the operator turned his head and he stared at Dufferin and Dufferin recognized him. So it was the hideously ugly man that he'd seen an island all of those years before who'd been carrying the coffin on his back. And the man looked at him directly and said, room for one more. So Dufferin backs away and refuses to enter the cage with the other guests and the door closes and the elevator makes its ascent. But then moments later, there's this tremendous crash And the elevator cable snaps and the cage plummets to the bottom of the shaft and kills all of the occupants. So Dufferin was really creeped out by this, obviously, and he inquired about the man with the hotel management and he was told that the usual operator was sick that morning and so this new operator was someone they had just hired for that day who then disappeared. No one ever saw him ever again. And the claim is that over the years Scotland Yard investigated the matter to no avail, and the strange man's identity was never known. So this is a really cool story, but did it really happen, Blake?
1: Well, I don't want to spoil it,
3: but, <laughs> but <laughs> that's what we're here to do. <laughs>
1: that's what we were stuck with when you and I became friends. We're like we were at this point where but did it happen and how would we investigate and and there are elements of the story that can be researched and so one of the ones would be you know the very simple matter of was there a hotel elevator crash at the grand hotel in paris and so that was one of the first things i wanted to look into when we um started discussing this uh as a possible case to look into and how should we approach this i think when I was in the process of trying to find out about the hotel and did it actually have a elevator disaster, mm-hmm. I came across the work of skeptical investigator and journalist Melvin Harris, who had actually looked into this case. I think it's 1980 book. It's called, um, let's see, this is a reprint from 86. Was it 86? I think it's 86. Okay, so
3: some hundred years after the event supposedly took place.
1: Exactly. I mean, it's a really cool book. It's called Investigating the Unexplained by Melvin Harris. Highly recommend it. It's a very light read, but it's just full of cases like this where it's historical cases of weird stuff. And then the question is, did it really happen or not? But the really amazing thing was when I was reading Melvin Harris's coverage, he pointed me to a previous investigator named Paul Huse. And Paul Huse was actually contemporaneous to the events of this case.
3: Or more so, anyway.
1: Right. He actually was alive at the time that the case became popular. He was doing investigations in the 1920s. So he was mm-hmm. kind of a, a French contemporary of the uh, uh, the early psychical research and skeptical investigation period. So I, I really love this stuff. So he went and tried to get to the bottom of it. And so the first thing he did was like look at the elevator story. And the elevator... Did have an accident, but it was like five years before the case, the, the way that Dufferin tells it. And only one person died. It was, it was a sad story, but like it was a bride that died in the elevator accident. And she's the yeah. only casualty.
3: Oh, I didn't know. I didn't know that. I heard that there'd been a fatality, but yeah, I didn't know it was a bride.
1: So yeah, it was having a lovely honeymoon at the Grand Hotel in Paris. Oh, and then <laughs>
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah, the point is when you get on an elevator, make sure it's been certified as safe, and you know, you know, has (laughs) elevator safety has actually improved quite a bit since the 1880s. So that's good.
3: (laughs) (laughs) It has, yeah. But yeah, I think it's interesting because I don't know of any other ghost stories that are attached with this place. No, but you'd think that a bride dying on the night of her wedding that would make for a, a good ghost story.
1: It would, wouldn't it? Yeah. And also, I mean, it, it's a good highlight for the, the the safety feature that they've got on elevators now is they've got this device that as the elevator increases speed, it uses the force to drive brakes harder into the elevator cables. And there's multiple cables. They're really super safe now. It's, it's very rare that you hear about an elevator accident hurting people. Usually it's something like, you know what? I don't even want to get into that because I know some good, gross stories about elevators. But I I, I I, I think we rely on them very much. And I don't want to feed into people's fears that generally they're quite safe. So bringing up stories of anecdotes of real cases where people have died. No, it's not good for anybody. So I'm just going to skip that.
0: And they, and they may have been less safe then. But it sounds like based off the reading that I did for this, that it was really rare for there to be fatalities in accidents mm. with elevators.
1: Yeah, They were quite rare, and now they're even more so. What I do like is the idea that you would have an elevator operator, like nobody's qualified to like tell it to stop and start particular floors. So the automatic systems we have now, you wouldn't even think you know it makes sense. But still, there are places where there's like these sort of residual. They're more like cultural necessities to have the elevator operator, but like they don't, they don't really make any sense.
3: Well, like having someone in the bathroom.
1: Yes, or or like going to New Jersey and trying to get gas and being told that no no no, they pump the gas for you in New Jersey. That's so <laughs> weird, so. <laughs>
3: oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and some of the depictions I've seen the guy instead of being hideously ugly is this very handsome guy with these piercing green eyes.
1: Ooh. Sexy elevator guy.
3: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: going down? Why, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Perhaps a bit faster than you want, but sure, why not? (laughs) (laughs) Monster Talk is brought to you by BetterHelp. Is there something preventing you from achieving your own goals? Are you having mental health challenges?
3: Are you talking to me? Okay. (laughs) You're talking talking about me.
1: <laughs> this is all about you Carrie. I
3: think there's, I think that, yeah, I think there's something uh, preventing me from uh, achieving my goal, and I think it's me. So.
1: Oh. <laughs> you know, we th- we are the enemy within. We're the ones we can't stop from undermining our own plans and our hopes and our dreams. You can't mm-hmm. escape you, but what you can do is hopefully find ways to navigate around your own limitations and in hangups.
3: Yeah, we're born free, but everywhere we're in chains, right?
1: That's right, yeah.
3: This, this business is just such a, an exciting and innovative new idea because it kind of circumvents having to be in a doctor's office, having to uh, deal with the secretary and other people in the waiting room because you can instead schedule weekly video or phone sessions and you can even talk to someone via text. And that's so cool to me. That's the way the world is going.
1: It's something that we all know can be a, a challenge or an issue, and it's sometimes it's hard to overcome stigma associated with mental health issues. But this is so great because it's private, discreet, it's licensed professionals. You just go to the website, sign up, and they will give you a little questionnaire that guides you through to get you to the kind of help that you need. And they deal with all kinds of, uh, of mental health challenges.
3: I think it's something that uh, we can all do to, to have some, some help with, because I don't think that there's any shame in, in talking to someone. And sure, you can talk to friends and family, but there are some things that you just want to keep confidential and uh, it's good to get a, an outside
1: perspective. I mean, if you have relationship trouble or depression, stress and anxiety, or if you're having family conflicts, a lot of these kind of issues, you can't talk to your family or maybe you don't want to talk to your Mm -hmm. friends because you're afraid of what they'll think of you. But you can talk to a professional counselor, a licensed professional counselor. It's all discreet. It's done securely. You can use video conferencing or texting. And you don't have to wait in a waiting room. It's just it's just a fantastic aid for people in a time when we probably need it more than ever.
3: Absolutely. And I think it's great, too, that it's available. The service is available for everyone around the world. So it's not just us in the States. It's also people in uh, England and Canada and Australia and New Zealand So it's just accessible to everyone.
1: Now, it is affordable and convenient. But as a listener to Monster Talk, you can get 10% off of your first month of support by visiting our sponsor at BetterHelp.com forward slash Monster Talk.
3: There are already 1 million people who are using this service. So again, that's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com forward slash Monster Talk. Thank you. So this event that did take place, the fatality, was years before Dufferin was in Paris. Exactly. He was the ambassador between the years of 1891 to 1896. And this was his final diplomatic post as well.
1: Yeah. So (laughs) one of the things that happened, though, was I wanted to read this Paul Husey book, and I couldn't get it through interlibrary loan. It was originally a French book, and it had been translated to English, but it was quite rare. And so... I found a copy um, in a little college in Appalachia in um, northern Tennessee, if I remember correctly. And I took a road trip and spent the whole day like, you know, driving up to Tennessee just to look at an old book. And oh, my God, that is like so far up my wheelhouse is crazy. (laughs) So, yeah. So and, and when I got the book, I was like, I just photographed. I photocopied the chapter that was relevant to this case, but the rest of the book was such a treat. I really would love to see a modern translation of it. The translation from back then was, it was in English, but it was not a great translation. But So Paul Huse was this journalist and he was kind of like a James Randi figure in France in the 1920s. So he would like specialize in going around and like busting charlatans He would go to, like, fakir shows and bust them for their fakery or reproduce their effects. Like, they would lay on a bed of nails and he would lay on a bed of nails, that kind of thing. But he also proposed doing a cash prize for anyone who could prove the existence of the paranormal. So he really did feel like he was a journalist, but he was also a magician and a skeptic and an activist. So he's quite a find. Quite a find.
3: Ahead of his time.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I think he really took some of the people who propagated the story to task. So it turns out, like, so when we look at these cases about, you know, various ghost stories and paranormal stories, one of the questions is what's case zero or, or where's the story coming from? And this story largely comes from a book by a guy named Camille Flammarion, who was a very famous astronomer in France but he was also really active in the spiritualist community. I guess the equivalent would be like if Neil deGrasse Tyson also believed in ghosts. And so he was talking about science, astronomy, and spirits are definitely communicating with us, that kind of thing. So it's it's a a weird mix.
2: I relate to it. (laughs) Scientists by day talking about creepy Uh stuff. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Exactly.
1: (laughs) 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 But what happened was Husea was like, dude, seriously, why aren't you applying any of your scientific critiques hmm. to this spiritualist stuff? You're you're like so hog wild about spiritualism. You're not doing e- even the most basic fact-checking. It turned out that what had happened was... Is it okay for me to just sort of give the story here, Karen?
3: Oh, yeah. I, I think this is open discussion at this point, so anyone who wants to pipe up and say anything... So
1: pipe up if you have any comments, but here's how it goes down. So Lord Dufferin would frequently tell the story of this uh, weird character and the elevator. But he didn't always tell it in the first person. He sometimes Mm -hmm. told it as though Mm -hmm. it was a story he had heard. Mm -hmm. However, he told it in the first person to his nephew, Mm -hmm. Harold Nicholson, who later becomes Sir Harold Nicholson. Harold Nicholson then repeats the story at a party, and he tells it to a psychologist Name Major de Meritre. Now, he tells it so compellingly that Meritre believes it to absolutely be a true story, and he writes a letter to Camille Flammarion, who then includes it in his book, which is all about spiritualism and the, the, the reality of this other world. So Flammarion's version becomes super popular and recounts the Dufferin tale as though it's an absolutely real thing that happened to Lord Dufferin, but in reality, not so much.
3: This nephew, when he recounted the story, did he tell it as though it had happened to Lord Dufferin?
1: Absolutely. He absolutely believed that it happened to his uncle mm-hmm. uh, by marriage and that it was a real thing that was absolutely true. But the reality is that what was actually going on was it was an urban legend. And find us on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at Chinwagpod and Wagon.
4: Hey, y'all, spooky season is here. And if you're looking for a show to whet your appetite for a little haunted history, then I'd like to invite you to check out Southern Gothic, a chart topping history podcast that explores some of the most infamous legends folklore, ghost stories, and hauntings of the American South. We've covered all sorts of stuff from the Bell Witch of Tennessee to the disappearance of the Confederate submarine, the H.L. Hunley. Not to mention our deep dives into the local lore of some of America's oldest and most haunted cities like New Orleans, Charleston, and St. Augustine. So, if you're ready for a little good old-fashioned Halloween storytelling with a commitment to quality historical research then be sure to check out Southern Gothic today. It's available now on all your favorite podcast apps. A story, you know, it's too
1: good to be true, but Dufferin took the urban legend that he had heard and then just souped it up and made it about himself, right? Right. Which sounds like a super narcissistic thing to do, but I think it was just good storytelling. I think this guy was a serious raconteur.
3: (laughs) Oh, yeah, he he was a narcissist, absolutely, and liked to to tell stories and uh definitely I, I come across a biography about him in which he it said that he liked to scare his nephew and to tell him the story.
1: Exactly. Yeah. I
3: don't know if the nephew actually believed it or not, but it certainly sounds like
1: Well, it sure sounds like it, yeah. It sounds like he believed it absolutely and repeated it as though it were true. So I think Dufferin died with the sort of amused idea that, you know, he had fooled his nephew, but not realizing <laughs> it was gonna set the world on fire with this incredible urban legend
2: yeah yeah 100 years to come (laughs) yeah and i had the reading that i had done and yeah looking through various things found that there were a lot of like urban legends ghost stories basically written or told right around that time and especially ones that happened before you know this story sort of became official and in that 1920 book That are very similar, where it's like some sort of ghostly figure making a premonition, Mm -hmm. and they all sort of follow the same script. So I guess there's one that's called The Yellow Sign, which is in a book called The King is Yellow, which was written in 1895. Mm -hmm. There's some story, which like this one, I didn't figure out where this source of it was but it sounds very similar to some of the yellow sign stuff so they might be related but the author of the article online said that this was from 1892 and it was a young woman has a dream that a hearse stops outside of her house and the driver asks are you not ready yet and then soon after she's going to get on an elevator and the lift attendant asks her the same question and so she pauses and doesn't get on And the lift then, you know, fell and the Mm -hmm. attendant died. So it's like, well, that's pretty much the same story. Just different characters. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Yeah, I've heard of that
3: uh, Hearst version as
2: well. Yeah, there was some sort of like Hearst dream involved in the yellow sign as well. So I'm not sure if what I saw was just like two retellings of that same story.
1: I think so. I think think the Hearst version is actually the original. Like, that's the primary version. And Dufferin basically changed it to make it more personal.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: There was a spiritualist newspaper in 1892 called Light, and they retold the story with the hearse. And uh, kind of amusingly, about a decade later, they retold the same story from a different person as though that were the original version. So it's like, that's one of those sure signs it's an urban legend if everybody know oh, well a friend of mine told me this and you know and i absolutely friend of a friend type things you know
2: right yeah and other stories that i or another story that i saw mentioned was the signal man which is a horror story by charles dickens mm-hmm. which was written in 1866 so that has just some of the same themes and the fact that you've got this ghost coming to warn somebody of disaster hello
1: that's the, the great spooky, <laughs> spooky lines from the the scene. Yeah. I love that story. Yeah,
3: but um, I think uh, there's another variation too. So we've got the man walking across the estate with the coffin on his back. Then we've got the hearse. But I think that there's an even earlier version which might include a like a horse and carriage too that turns up, and you have the driver say something mysterious and strange about collecting the person to take them to to the cemetery or, or something like that. So, I mean, it's really impossible to trace this to the origins because it seems like something that's just been told and retold for maybe even 200 years.
1: It would be very akin to a, a, what we would call a meme today where someone has an idea and it just gets riffed on and riffed on and riffed on. Some people doing it for fun, some people doing it out of sincerity or whatever the reasons, it, it's getting retold all the time. Oh, uh, it was uh, used in a, a story called "The Bus Conductor" by E.F. Benson in 1906, and that version was dramatized in 1945's anthology horror film "Dead of Night," uh, which most people remember for the ventriloquist segment. The bus segment is very much like this, where the guy keeps having a dream, and it's the room for one more kind of story, and ultimately is about to get onto a uh, like a double decker bus, and the 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 driver says.
4: Just room for one inside,
1: sir. And he looks like the guy from the dream, so he doesn't get on it. And then there's a horrific crash. So, yeah. So yeah. Speaking of the yellow sign, you mentioned Robert Chambers the yellow sign, which does have that a lot of the features of this of this urban legend. Clearly, mm-hmm. Chambers was riffing on that. Uh, people may recognize that name, the yellow sign and the king in yellow from. Uh, the TV show True Detective from a few years back because they used that motif. Uh, they use a lot of the, uh, the, just a few key words to hint at Carcosa, the yellow sign, to kind of uh, hint that there was um, this sort of connection to this metaphysical occult stuff that Chambers talks about. He said that there's this
0: place down south where all, uh, all these rich men go to uh, devil worship. He said... the. Uh, they, they, they sacrifice kids and whatnot, women and children, all, all, got, all got murdered there. And um, something about some place called Carcosa and the Yellow King. He said there's all these like old stones out in the woods. People go to like worship. He said, uh, he said there's just so much good killing down there. Reggie got this uh, brand on his back, like in a spiral. He says that's a sign.
1: It's a strange thing. The, it's not really a novel, The Yellow Sign. It's, it's like a, um, it's a collection of short stories. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them have these really cool, weird fiction elements about this King in Yellow, which is a play. And if you read the play, it'll drive you insane. That's like really, really compelling and interesting stuff to me. But then the other stories are just like stories about French art students falling in love with their s- models.
3: Not as supernatural.
1: Right, there's nothing supernatural. It's like they're so different from the other story. It's just a really weird mix.
3: Yeah, it sounds it.
1: <laughs> I I like it very much where the weird stuff's there, and I mean, this is just my taste, but it can mm-hmm. be trimmed to re- and without the rest of the stuff, I, I'm still fine with it. But I think he just sort of like slapped a bunch of stuff together and included some right. things that were clearly not gonna be interesting to me. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
3: But I do think it's interesting the way that the story's progressed over time. And mm-hmm. I don't think I've heard any modern-day adaptations of it, but I think it's the kind of story that you could adapt to modern society where someone has a similar experience when they're about to board a plane.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, Something final destination, like that. right, Paige? Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. Well, well, also, I mean, in The Twilight Zone, they did an episode called 22 – Mm. Which, which, I mean, that's not exactly modern, but uh, it is the same story, just with an airplane instead of a, a carriage, right? Yeah. Well, I guess, I mean, the, really the most recent story I remember that riffs on this was uh, by a uh, an author named Karen now. Stoles- oh, yeah. So- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice. I've
3: got a short story, Room for One More, which is a retelling of... The, the story and I was just fascinated so cool. by the history.
1: You twisted it, didn't you? So
3: Yeah. I put a little twist in at the end and yeah, I was just fascinated by the character of Lord Dufferin. I just think he's so, so remarkable. And you know, this, this has just always been a very chilling story to me since I was a kid. And certainly when I was very young, I, I believed that that must've happened. And I just accepted that that had, uh, you know, truly happened and it was just very creepy and it's stayed with me and, plenty of other people too to this day even though it's a bit of an older tale
1: well like i mean it's the story when i think about an omen if i want to explain what an omen is that's the story that pops in my head true
3: yeah Uh, as for the the dufferin family as well i wrote the story and i knew that there was the last member of the family her name is lindy hamilton temple blackwood and so she lives in or lived in the manor that Lord Dufferin had lived in. I thought it would be fun to send this to her and see what she thinks of it because there's a lot of history in the story too. And only to find out that she died last year. Oh, I don't think it was COVID.
0: Oh no. but
3: yeah. So really end of an era. She died yeah. at the age of 79. And I think that she'd turned the estate into a, a dairy farm and, They sold yogurt that was made on the premises there. and So, yeah, certainly an end of an era for that family. But I haven't heard uh, anything about her ever retelling the story. I think it really just seemed to die with the nephew.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I wonder if the family was sick of it. (laughs) Yeah, I
1: guess. (laughs) Their advertising campaign for their yogurts. Move for one more. What?
2: (laughs) 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 Yeah. And this is, I guess... I guess, in an attempt to tie it to a little bit more contemporary stuff, I looked at the story as if, you know, let's assume that Lord Dufferin, this story's come from somewhere, right? And that he's inserting himself into someone else's story, and he actually believes that it occurred. So I wanted to look at it from the perspective of, like, let's say that whoever this was, who experienced this, like, had some sort of prophetic dream. And because I know that's, a thing for people, and I was actually sort of surprised to find a couple articles that said that, like, this is a thing. Like, people, when there are sort of like big events in the world, there will be a lot of people who come out and say, like, oh, well, I, you know, I dreamed of this before it happened. Yeah. Which I guess isn't that surprising. But like, psychologist Carl Jung, I guess, had really vivid dreams about something bad happening to Europe before the outbreak of World War I. And I guess that were so convincing that he was worried that he was suffering some sort of psychotic break. Abraham Lincoln told a story to his wife and his friends that he had a dream that he had been assassinated two weeks before he actually was, which mm. is really creepy. Yeah, but then like there are other more modern examples like people – claim that before nine eleven, before the 2008 housing market crash that they had dreams that you know predicted that these things were happening so it's like it's still a a thing
1: well you life. know it's a, I, I statistically i mean i'm going to break out the math statistically it would be more weird if nobody had had a dream that was weird and predictive, right? I mean, that's true. You got 300 million people dreaming, you know, not all of them are gonna be about me, you know, going to class without my clothes on and not being ready for the test. I mean, <laughs> oh, some yeah, people I say that. that's just something that I dream about. But the point is that, <laughs> you know, somebody's gonna have a dream and it's gonna yeah. seem weird and scary. And then when something bad happens, they're gonna make a connection. And I, I would assume that would be. Thousands of people, you know, so I, that makes lots of sense to me. Yeah. So
2: I read that some research indicates that up to one third of people have reported having a precognitive dream at some point. Wow. So, wow. and I have yeah. no idea, like, you know, how official that research is, like, was like an actual journal and, and associated with like a psychological study, but, you know, there could be some sort of sampling bias there. But, Paige, and I'm going to steal your question. <laughs> Yeah. Paige underneath this in our notes wrote a question, which is a good follow-up to this, but like, do any of you feel like you've had a dream where you like predicted something that happened?
0: Yes. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I, I think that the examples that you cited are really interesting. Uh the one about uh was it Carl Jung regarding mm-hmm. World War One? I, I mm-hmm. think there were plenty of signs at the time that something was brewing and that yes. they were really on the, the cusp of war. Yeah, that-
2: that um, one I could totally write off to just like well even the Abraham Lincoln one like you've got a country that's really yes. unsettled like both of those you could write off to subconsciously Fear like they and... knew that something yeah was wrong so yeah, well
0: and like yeah. that aside I mean he was a powerful man like I'm sure presidents have to have those thoughts yeah well I <laughs> wonder if he had like especially in America or something right
3: <laughs> with that, the curse to the canoe. Yeah. (laughs) But uh, yeah, I I think another common dream that people will have these prophetic like dreams Mm -hmm. um, are dreaming of the death of a family member. Mm -hmm. And I've had things like that happen. And I think that it's easy to find a natural explanation that if you have a a family member who is sick Mm -hmm. or uh, someone that just seems to be getting older and maybe just showing signs of sickness or something like that. And then it's the it's a fear that plays on your mind. And then you have a brain dump of a dream in which you're prophesizing that they die. And then that happens, you know, maybe days or weeks or months or even years later. And it's the kind of thing that certainly if you're a believer, you're going to make those kinds of connections. Yeah. And right. you're going to say, well, I dreamt about this and I prophesized this before it right. happened. Right. Uh, and well, I've had I've had dreams like that about uh, relatives, just seeing mm-hmm. a relative who who just seemed to be very lively and well and young and then you don't see them for a little while and then suddenly they just seem more decrepit and older and mm-hmm. you have a dream about them and then something happens later on and you do connect it. But I think being a skeptic, I never thought, oh, I had a prophetic dream. I think a lot of it is in the the interpretation of the mm-hmm. dream.
1: I was going to say, it's very compelling. I literally had a, I, I wasn't feeling well today. So I took a nap and during my nap, I dreamed that one of my very good friends had died. Mm -hmm. And when I woke up, first thing I did, I'm skeptical. The first thing I did was just checked, you know, (laughs) like, I mean, which is ridiculous, but you know, I'm being honest. That's what I did because, and if, if he had been dead, like what, I wouldn't have thought I had strange powers. I would have just been, damn. That's very yeah, unfortunate. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's like,
3: absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, well, there you go. <laughs> well, there yeah. was the spooky thing that that happened to you today. There you yeah. go. It's <laughs> yeah. a
2: dream.
1: With the same level of spookiness as most of it, yeah. 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 Which is, yeah.
2: yeah. And- <laughs> 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 what was your prophecy dream?
0: Oh, uh, So I was in a pretty nasty car accident like five or six years ago now, and... Like I was on the highway and anyways, it was, it was pretty nasty accident, but I had had a dream like the night before that my dad was on the highway and had gotten hit by a semi, which was the same thing that happened to me. So that kind of creeped me out. But like, yeah. I mean, I was dry. I was going for like, I was, you know, driving home. So I had a bit of a drive. I had like a three hour drive on the highway and like, I'm generally just kind of nervous about those things anyway. So
2: <laughs> I'm sure that's all it was, but it was really bizarre. Yeah. And I'm sure your dad was involved probably because the night before he was telling you like, gotta be careful on the road.
0: Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah. If you know anything about my father, it's that like he has to tell you to be careful about driving every opportunity he gets. Yeah. So yeah.
3: Yeah. My well, dad used to do that too. He'd always <laughs> Check your <laughs> tires and get the oil right. changed. And- exactly. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I don't know what year this, I saw this, but when I was a kid, I used to, my parents would send me and my sisters to my aunt's house for the weekend, like a like a Friday night, so they could get it on. Let's be honest, what was really going on there? But I, I you know, we didn't know that at the time. We just knew we had to go stay at my aunt's house. So, and I, I saw this movie with Barbara Stanwyck where she went into a room and saw this weird, creepy painting and screamed, or like she was afraid of it. And then like, I I didn't know what the movie was. And so for years I wondered about it. And then at the, around the same time in my life, I had this recurring dream where I would see this painting that was all eyeballs, like just all these eyes. Mm -hmm. And it was like the only recurring dream I had that I can remember. But like for night after night, it would be, I'd be going down a hallway and there'd be this painting with all these eyes on it. Well, last year, I finally found this movie that, that I had been like wondering about this Barbara Stanwyck movie. And I, I put it on and watched it with my daughter and I told her, I said, look, I don't know what this movie is about, but I've been looking for this movie where I saw like, because I've had this weird recollection of, of seeing Barbara Stanwyck looking at a creepy painting mm-hmm. and being scared of it. And I said, and I don't know if this is the one or not. As we started watching it, the opening credits were the eyes It was like, it was my dream. (laughs) I, I don't know. Like I hit this movie at some weird point where it absolutely traumatized me and it had locked in like, and so it turned out it was the movie where she sees the pain. It's a weird movie. It's called the night Walker. I have to say, I recommend it. It's a William castle movie. It's a Mm -hmm. screenplays by Robert block. uh, The guy who wrote psycho. (laughs) So it's a creepy movie, very weird, psychological movie. It doesn't make a ton of sense, but damn did this movie make an impact on me
0: i was just like i don't know that i would recover from the eyes
1: i mean no seriously when i saw the opening credits i almost jumped out of my seat are you joking me yeah like that was like this i was haunted for months by this dream and it was because i watched this movie a bit too young i mean i was clearly too young to see this film and so it blew me away i I really liked it as an adult but holy cow
3: You're reminding me that my son came into the bedroom a couple of nights ago and he said, Mom, I've got a, an eye ache. And his face was covered in googly eyes. And he, <laughs> them, he them all over his face and it, it really grossed me out. And I should have taken a photograph because that's the first thing I thought of when you told me about that. That's
0: amazing. Uh.
1: I I was quite literally haunted by this recurring dream. At one point, I thought about making an animated GIF because I just had this picture in my head of all these eyes opening and closing. And I thought,
3: got to get it out of your head.
1: Yeah, exactly. I was going to exercise it by making it into a thing, but like now that I've discovered it's a real film, and I must have been like seven or eight years old when I saw it. It's just so weird. So, but uh, yeah, I didn't remember anything of the plot. But I,
3: I, the strange way that played out.
1: Yeah, it is. It's very visual and and like very impression. I was very impressioned by it, whatever the hell that means. (laughs) It made made a big impression on me. I just didn't know what it was. So, Yeah.
2: Yeah. There you
3: go. So if we don't have anything else to add, uh, I think we should ask the, the guys our signature question. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think I prepared them for it
1: at all. Oh, no. (laughs)
3: <laughs> so, Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> so spooky science sisters and you can take some time to think about this if you you need to but we have a signature question at the end of every show where we ask our guests what's your favorite monster
2: oh oh yeah i remember hearing this from other episodes because like we've listened to a bunch but
3: i forgot yeah, to prepare myself for i it. am into prep you so if you yeah when to have a think about it that's okay
2: yeah let me think about it Paige, do you have one off the top of your head? Well, I'm going to do one that I recently learned about. And I don't know if I would say it's my favorite, but I'm sort of obsessed with it right now because I think it's really funny. And Karen, you'll appreciate this (laughs) because it is one that is from Colorado and it is a cryptid known as the Slide Rock Bolter. And I don't know if you guys have talked about this before.
1: Oh, that is so weird. Yeah. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I heard of it. Yeah. So it is a story that was told by miners and lumberjacks working out in Colorado in the Rockies. And it is apparently a whale-like creature that hooks its tail across the top of mountains and releases it and swoops down to scoop up unsuspecting tourists. A whale in Colorado. Yeah, so it's just like a really insane, very silly cryptid. And I think it was probably invented to, I don't know, scare away tourists from coming in or to (laughs) keep people away from like, gold mining claims or something. But it's just a...
1: it's We're gonna into one. this one now. Well, it, I, I, it's so weird because I read about this for the first time about two weeks ago. Yeah, and I don't know why. I don't remember who who Ooh. put me onto it, but yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about.
3: a coincidence. Yeah. Yeah. No, I <laughs> didn't mention it to me.
1: That is so weird. Yeah, I. I, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I I saw something. It might have been on Twitter. It had a it had an illustration of this sort of. Sad looking whale sliding down a, a mountain. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh,
2: yes. It's and part visual. of the story is that like a, a forest ranger at some point baited it with a dummy filled with dynamite <laughs> in order to get it to swoop <laughs> down so they could get rid of it. But it's like unclear if people say that there's there's still one out there. So I don't know. It's just like this weird Like, they must have just been telling it to explain rock slides or avalanches, or it was, like, sort of a way to explain the higher mortality rate for those professions. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Anyway. We always
3: love it when we get an answer that we haven't heard before. And that's definitely the case here.
1: Yeah, that's... (laughs) That's a new one. It's obscure. But that, I mean, that's, uh, obviously, you and Matthew can go off and take a look for these things, right? So yeah Just be, leave be that careful to, to be Matt. careful yeah yeah
2: yeah. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah it sounds like your son might want to go look for them so <laughs> yeah i think so <laughs> nice for
1: them on porpoise yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's the
2: fun. yeah <laughs> Paige, do you have
0: one <laughs> uh so i would say that like i don't really think of I know I should probably should, but I don't really think of like Bigfoot as a monster, but that's probably my favorite of like the cryptids we've talked about. And I would, so I guess if I'm talking about like things we've discussed on the podcast, probably Bigfoot.
1: Yeah, no, Bigfoot's definitely a monster. Yeah, I, I,
0: I know. But like, I just want Bigfoot to be like a sweet, cuddly fate. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah.
2: You want the Harry and the Hendersons
0: spectrum.
1: You you want him to be a a, a kind and natural, just misunderstood creature, not a dimensional traveling, rip your arms off and eat you kind (laughs) of terrible creature. Right.
0: But if I were talking like, because I I tend to, I'm pretty into true crime. I would say that like one of the stories I've gotten most into is the story of H.H. Holmes. Mm. Oh, yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah so yeah. so real those, life that's monsters. probably we're and like real life <laughs> monsters yeah that's yeah. those are probably the two I would say <laughs> yeah so do
1: you want to briefly mention who A.T. Holmes is I mean w- weirdly enough and we we I think Karen and I both know who he is but we haven't talked about him on the show
3: yeah it sounds like a Kathleen thing
1: oh we it's definitely a Kathleen thing for sure yeah, <laughs> yeah she, my, that's my wife she she loves she loves her okay. true crime yeah, yeah. So,
0: yeah, so basically, HH. H. Holmes was a serial killer and I think it was like the late 1800s. yes, yeah. and I mean, the big thing is that like he had this what was called like a murder castle, but it was basically just this like big house or big castle uh, with different with like different rooms and like different booby traps and like rooms that people could get stuck in and it was like a maze.
1: And would you yeah. say he had room for one more? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he had room for
2: one more. <laughs> yeah, get rid of the old well, people. plenty of room. <laughs> But they think that he killed as many as
0: like 200 people. So,
2: yeah. Although my favorite thing about H.H. Holmes is maybe that, like, in the end, even though they say that he killed, like, up to 200 people and did all these horrific things, in the end, they got him for insurance fraud. Right. <laughs> oh, kidding.
1: Yeah. No, that's that was his M.O. He would... Not only would he yeah. kill people, but he would get insurance policies on them and then collect the cash for their dead, like for yeah. their death. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah.
1: And he would yeah. sell their skeletons yeah. to science. He was a real asshole. <laughs> <laughs> it's like nothing oh goes God. to waste. Nothing goes to waste. So
2: yeah, there you go. <laughs> He's actually
1: he t- weirdly tied into some weird sort of modern. Uh, I think it gets into a little bit of nonsense where some people who've written about him have tried to claim he was also Jack the Ripper. Yes. Like, no, yeah. No, no, he wasn't. Okay.
3: But, oh, I but, haven't heard that.
1: Yeah. So yeah. it just, uh, so yeah, again, no, no parts wasted, right? <laughs> <So>.
3: <laughs> well, those are some good answers and yeah, Bigfoot's always a,
1: always welcome. Yep. Yep. Huge fans mm-hmm.
3: of Bigfoot on this show. Yeah. It's always
1: welcome. All right.
3: <laughs> uh, well, thank you so much for joining us and uh for this very auspicious topic. We've wanted to talk about this for so long and it's just a just a really fun topic. And we'll have to have you back on the show.
1: I had a dream we were gonna talk about this. <laughs> <laughs>
3: I knew you were gonna say that.
1: <laughs>
0: well, thank you so That's much for having us. us.
1: Absolutely. So
0: <laughs> Yes yeah, and Happy
2: Halloween.
1: Yeah, yes, happy Halloween.
2: Happy Halloween! Uh, if people want to check out your
1: show, where will they find you?
2: <laughs> well, we're on most of the major podcatchers, so yeah, you can search for Spooky Science Sisters on there, and you'll find us. But you can also go to our website, which is spookyscience sisters dot com, and it's got links to everything, and you know all of our episodes you, are on there as well. You've got, um, a, huge, um, you've got a huge following on TikTok. <laughs>
3: She does. What, what is that
1: like i, I i've been thinking about yes. breaking up my dance moves but i, I wasn't yeah. sure if it was time so
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah you don't you don't have to dance necessarily um
1: have to don't you mean get to, what?
2: Get to you know? <laughs> um yeah so yeah we're on social media facebook twitter instagram the normal ones but yeah uh, about six months ago or so i sort of committed to starting to do videos on tiktok talking about it was just like brief summaries of stuff that we had talked about on the podcast and stuff that I thought was interesting and related to paranormal stuff or science stuff or I don't know I've done a whole bunch of random stuff at this point but yeah it uh it blew up a little (laughs) so I'm like a I'm like a smidge internet famous on TikTok we've got about 120,000 followers now so that's fantastic
1: it's yeah, sort congratulations.
2: of <laughs> <laughs> And that's actually how I learned about the slide rock bolter. So, my oh. contribution to sort of like spooky Halloween TikTok has been to do, has been to. Spooky stories from all of the, or well, from various national parks that people suggest. So um, that was the one for Rocky cool. Mountain National Park.
1: Okay. So I, I need to quickly insert a thing here. Yeah. So I just remembered, Karen, the reason mm-hmm. I know about the bolter <laughs> is David Perlmutter sent that to me. He's the uh, dean of the College of Communications at Texas Tech University. Texas in uh-huh. Tech.
3: And yeah. I wonder if he might have sent it to me and I just haven't gotten around to reading it. It's ever.
1: entirely possible. I mean, I don't have the TikTok app. And so, like, when he sends it to me, it's not exactly easy to see the content. So Yeah, but yeah, yeah. A
2: TikTok. Yeah. Wait, did he oh, actually he send you my thing?
1: Wouldn't that my be my funny? Answer. That would be funny. I'll that have would to be see
2: really, really funny. Well. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we'll
3: let you know. It's a possibility. Yeah.
1: A quick insert here. First, it looks like the answer is yes. The TikTok video I saw was indeed the one from the Spooky Science Sisters TikTok channel. And since I was doing some digging, I decided to go a little further. Despite its popularity online, this is not some new cryptid or folklore monster of the Internet age. The earliest print account of this fantastical critter comes from the book Fearsome Creatures of the Lumberwoods with a Few Desert and Mountain Beasts, a 1910 book by William Thomas Cox. The entire book is readable online with wonderful illustrations by Court Dubois. In addition to the lesser-known critters of American fantasy and folklore, more familiar monsters like the Hodag, the Snollygaster, and the Leprechaun also make appearances. Check this book out. It's a treat. I put a link in the show notes.
3: Uh, More of a possibility than uh, the Lord Dufferin story being true.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah.
2: (laughs) Yeah, so that's us. It's podcast and... And yeah, I guess a little bit of TikTok stuff as well. And on there, I'm we're at Spooky Science, and then sort of everywhere else we're Spooky SciPod. So, yeah,
3: fantastic. <laughs> you guys are a lot of fun, and absolutely, uh, they, yeah, everyone should go and listen to their show. You do so such great research, and I uh, just really love all the topics that you treat. And there's a lot
2: of crossover with us too, mm-hmm. so these topics will be familiar to our listeners. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Well, yep. I would say like at least once an episode we're like oh we listened to the monster talk episode about (laughs) 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 thank you
1: (laughs) we appreciate they haven't really figured out a way to easily give people like cross-link reference stuff you know when you're doing a podcast it's all audio but i I, yeah a name drop is appreciated thanks
2: yeah (laughs) of course
1: (laughs) (laughs) all right well you guys have a great night i'll uh, look at you guys to do I'm gonna go uh, watch a TV show with my kids. Yep, <laughs> and
3: yeah, um, have a good holiday season and
1: likewise. Um, yep. Yeah,
3: we'll, yep. we'll have to do something else again in the future.
2: Yes, yeah, yeah we'll definitely. be back to sort of recording regularly in the new year. So, oh, cool. Yeah. So cool. this
1: will be a good chance for your your listeners to uh, have a crossover visit. So, yeah, yeah. Tide the, them over. All right, yes. sounds good. <laughs> Thank you so much. You guys, okay, have when guys we get ready guys, to go yeah. live. We'll send you the links and everything. Okay. Perfect. Yeah, Perfect. All
0: right, okay. good night, everybody. Good care. See you good later.
1: Night. Monster Talk. You've been listening to Monster Talk, the science show about monsters. I'm Blake Smith. And I'm Karen Stoltzner. You just heard an interview with the spooky science sisters, Paige Miller and Megan Ankney. You can find a link to their work in the show notes, or you can search for them on your favorite podcast platform to hear more. We've also added lots of notes and links for this episode in the show notes, so please check those out for further reading and listening monster talk is proud to be a part of the airwave media family of podcasts home to such shows as infamous america the investing for beginners podcast and good job brain monster talks theme music is by Pete stealing monkeys thanks so much for listening
4: a Monster House presentation.